For our scripture reading today, let's turn our Bible to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, we will read from verse 35 to verse 38. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. This will be our text as well for this morning. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Congregation, let's, let's listen to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The word of God says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send, to send out laborers into his harvest. So for the reading of God's holy and inspired word, and may the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bring to you greetings from your brothers and sisters in the Philippines. And I thank you for the privilege of uh, bringing you the Word of God once again before you. I come before you today with thankful heart for your dedication to the Lord and His church and to the work of missions. Thank you for your prayers and support for my family and for the work of the gospel in the Philippines, particularly in our city, Davao City. Since my involvement with this church in the summer of 2007, I have seen your fervent devotion to the Lord in the area of mission or missions. Your dedication to missions and evangelism did not wane. Rather, I, say, I, I, I see more fervency, more intensity, and for that, I am encouraged and I am thankful to the Lord. I remember preaching before you some nine years ago on the same theme in missions that was in 2011. And I know you do this every year. And today I am here again bringing, bringing you the same message of the glory of our God who sent His Son, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, to the world to save sinners. It is a great privilege to stand before you once again proclaiming the message of redemption through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you from the outset that the work of missions is a fascinating task. It is fascinating. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ is specifically appointed to this worldwide undertaking. Missions is about the task of the church or the task the church is sent to do and its activities in fulfillment of that mandate. Missions, of course, involves the proclamation of the gospel. But what makes mission so fascinating, even overwhelming, is that it involves the bringing of the gospel throughout all the world, throughout the whole world, to make disciples of Christ and worshipers of God in every tribe, in every language, in every nation and people. 
Missionary work is not an easy task, but it is a God-glorifying work. Our text this morning bears the truth out. If you have your Bible, keep your Bible open, boys and girls. The work of Christian missions is God's agenda. The worldwide proclamation of the gospel originates from the mind of God. It is His will. It is His idea. And to be enjoined to participate in this global task is humbling on the one hand, but it is also overwhelming on the other hand. More of that as we explore our passage this morning. As I look at our passage, as I look at our text, I see some foundational truths on missions. And as you may know, many preachers and commentators notice that the text, this text, talks about the activities involved in missions. It talks about the motivation for the missionary, for the missionary task, for the missionary endeavor, and the means in accomplishing that task. They're all in there, if you observe, if you look at the text. And so what I'd like us to do now is to look at this passage as one that, that teaches us that the global task of Christian missions proceeds from the unique person, from the unique identity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The global task of Christian missions proceeds from the unique person of Jesus Christ. And there are three things to notice from our text about Christian missions. First, missions is a continuing work of our missionary Christ. Second, it is a compassionate work of a sympathetic shepherd. Missions is a compassionate work of a sympathetic shepherd. And third, it is a cooperative work, cooperative work with the Lord of the harvest. So these are the three things that we want us to, to look at from our text. First of all, the work of missions is a continuing work of our missionary Christ. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ was himself a missionary. We should not forget that. He was sent by the Father to the world. He himself was on a mission. His work for which the Father has sent him was prophesied long ago in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah especially predicted that when the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, comes, he shall preach the good news to the poor. He shall bind up the brokenhearted, and he shall proclaim liberty to the captives. If you notice Matthew's summary of the ministry of Christ in verse 35, it closely resembles Isaiah's prophecy. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. The Son of God was sent by the Father to preach the good news of the kingdom. Earlier in the gospel, the gospel writer Matthew summarizes the activities of Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, the, the, the writer tells us that Christ went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, he said, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So the Son of God is a missionary Christ. He was anointed to preach the gospel, to teach the kingdom of God, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to heal the sick. And here in verse 35, we are told that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages doing the same thing with authority. In chapter 10, just right, uh, the next chapter, in chapter 10, beginning verse 1, Matthew tells us that Jesus called his 12 apostles and he sent them to do exactly the same thing he's been doing. They were to go to the lost sheep of Israel and not to the territories of the Samaritans and the Gentiles, just to the lost sheep of Israel. And the, and the apostles were to preach the same message that their Lord has preached, that they've heard many times. And what was the message of Christ? First, if you notice back in the earlier ch chapter of um, the Gospel of Matthew, his message in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught them about the character of the citizens and the life in the kingdom of God. He points to them himself as the Christ. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament expectation of the Anointed One. And they need to believe in Him. He is the Christ whose ultimate mission, which the Father has sent Him to do, was to give up His life, to suffer and die as a ransom for many. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of His people, as the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall... He shall, uh, he shall die for the sins of His people. He shall take away the sins of His people. Our Lord Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God in order to die for the sheep. He died on a cross, carrying the sins of the world upon His shoulder, paying for the penalty of sin of those whom He came to save. And yes, the Lord Christ died for His people, but he did not remain in the grave, as we know. The Scripture tells us that in three days, he came back to life by the Spirit's power. Death and hell cannot hold him forever. Death is under the authority of the Son. And so he rose again as the Lord of lords, as the King of kings. He overcame sin and hell and the grave. And when he rose again, he further taught his disciples the meaning of his death and his resurrection. He told them of his reign and power and authority over all the heavens and over all the earth. And before leaving them to return to heaven, he commissioned his people. He sent out his people, the church, to go this time not just to the lost sheep of Israel, but into all the world, into all the nations of the world, to the Jews, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to them, to call everyone to repent and to bow down to Him as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In other words, Christ Jesus was sent, or Christ Jesus has sent 
His people. His, his, he has sent His church to continue His work. The work that He's been doing. Missions is the continuing work of our missionary Christ. And so as we go, as the church ordains and sends out missionaries to, to other places where the gospel witness is needed, we need to remember that we are doing the work of Christ. Missions is His work. It is His agenda. We go and make disciples of Christ, not our own disciples. We send missionaries in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We fulfill the great commission in the power and authority of the one who came from heaven, who died and rose again, who, was, who ascended back to heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning over His church and over all the world. Remember this, congregation. Missions is first and foremost the mandate of Christ. He is the missionary par excellence. And so as we go, as we bring the message of redemption here at home and overseas, abroad, we are continuing the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Secondly, missions is a compassionate work of our sympathetic shepherd. You see that in verse 36. All throughout Matthew, Christ is presented as the one who has authority. From beginning to end, Matthew presents the Lord Jesus Christ as one with authority. His teaching and preaching were recognized as authoritative, unlike the scribes and the teachers of the people. As people themselves notice, this one has something with authority. When he teaches, he teaches with authority. That's what the people notice when Jesus Christ preaches and teaches. Jesus is also portrayed in Matthew as one who has power and authority over sickness and disease and over demons and unclean spirits. And Jesus has the power and authority to send his 12 apostles. You notice that in chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. And later in the Gospel of Luke, we were told, or we are told, that the 72 disciples was also sent by the Lord Jesus Christ with authority to preach the gospel, to cast out demons. He gave them authority over unclean spirits, authority to heal every disease, authority to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. But what is extraordinary about this authority of Christ is that it is a kind of authority tempered with and moved by compassion. In verse 36, we are told that when our Lord Jesus saw the crowds, when He saw the people, when He saw those Israelites, as He went from one city to another, He had compassion for them. He saw the helplessness of the people. He likened them to sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is one great mark of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one character that sets him apart from other kings and tyrants who were and are in power and authority. Our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ is a compassionate shepherd at the same time. His power is directed and guided 
and filled with compassion. Over and over again in the Gospels, the compassion of Christ shines out with beauty as the great motive, as the great driving force for His ministry. You might say, as someone has pointed out, that compassion is like the laser-targeting system that enables Him to deploy His power with precision directly at the point of need in the lives of lost and broken and desperate men and women and boys and girls. His compassion sees our needs. His compassion sees our hurts, our brokenness. When you read the Gospels, you get to notice that Christ is driven to humble service by His compassion and kindness, by His love. And in this text, Christ's compassion is directed toward the crowds. The Israelites were harassed and, ha- and helpless, like sheep whose shepherd has abandoned them. And by the way, that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is drawn from Numbers 27, 17, in which a man is called to care. He was called, this man is called to care for God's people after Moses. One who shall go out, Moses says in uh, Numbers 27, he will go out before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. And that man, that shepherd, as it turns out, was Joshua, who followed Moses in leading the Israelites. The phrase is next used during the reign of the kings in 1 Kings 22. And the phrase describes what happens to God's people when wicked kings have their way and wicked rulers reign over them. They do indeed, at the time of the kings, become like sheep without a shepherd. But when the, when the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, promised a day when the Lord God would, would come, the prophet said, this, when the, day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord comes, the servant of the Lord, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. The Lord himself will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in, the, in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. One day, another Joshua, one greater than Joshua would come who would faithfully shepherd the flock to be the good shepherd. And Matthew 9.36 is telling us that that shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is staggering is the way in which he shows his compassion for the sheep. As John chapter 10 tells us, how does Jesus do it? How does he show compassion to his sheep? He does it by laying his life down for the sheep. And as Isaiah would go on to say, the shepherd will himself be like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he would not open his mouth. And why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Savior who was moved with compassion for the harassed and the helpless 
the sheep without a shepherd, shows his compassion most fully at the cross. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Christ has compassion on you, his people. Are you unsure that Jesus really cares? Are you unsure that he is filled with compassion for you in the details of your life? Have the dark trials in your experience made you wonder about the mercies and the compassion in the heart of Christ toward you? Brothers and sisters, look at the cross. Look at the cross, and you will see the compassion, the love, the kindness of our dear Savior, our sympathetic shepherd. The, go the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Here is compassion at its fullest expression. Bearing your condemnation, he dies that you might live. It's a great demonstration of his love for you, his compassion toward you. And this is the same compassion that should drive us, that should motivate us as we go, as we send goers and ministers to the world who doesn't know Christ. The Lord's compassion moves us to preach Christ, to preach the gospel of salvation, to teach the people the truth of God, to take care not only of their spiritual needs, but also their emotional their mental, their physical, and material needs. Compassion drives us to do that or to do, to do those things. And because Jesus was moved with compassion, he proclaimed to the people the glorious message of God's kingdom. But not only that, he also taught them how to live a life pleasing to God. He taught them how to love one's neighbors and to be kind and compassionate to others. Jesus also healed their sickness and disease. He was moved by compassion, and He healed their disease and their sickness. He delivered them from demon possession. He cast out unclean spirits and made people whole again. No wonder that our call to missions is not only to preach and teach the gospel, but also to help meet people's needs. As you may know, in the history of Christian missions, Christians and Christian churches did not only preach the gospel or train and send out ministers or, or preachers, Christian missions also established schools and colleges and universities and hospitals and mercy ministries. Because we know that the shepherd of the sheep is not only concerned with our souls, I think the, the old uh, educational institutions in the United States, they were founded not only to, to raise uh, ministers and preachers, but also lawyers who will serve the people, the community. That's what the, 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 the Christian history tells us. The work of missions does not only involve, it, it primar primarily involves preaching the gospel but it also includes teaching people the truth from the Word of God, the truth of God, the truth of God. Christ is mindful of our bodies, our minds, and our emotions. In places where the Bible is not yet published or translated in the local language, Christian missions also send people 
to start working with Bible translations. And that's why we have weekly Bible translators working in the mountains and the fishing villages in the Philippines. There are Christian missionaries working for the translation of the Bible in the mountains of Africa, in the mountains of South America. Christian churches and missions organizations are the ones that promptly respond when disasters or calamities strike a certain place. When famine or earthquake or hurricane or genocide takes place, notice how many Christian organizations that run to the rescue. They do relief work, development work, And so we have Samaritan Purse, we have Compassion International, World Vision, Operation Blessing, and many other Christian organizations. Christians are in the forefront of missionary activities because we understand that this is part of the work of our compassionate and sympathetic shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 36. Thirdly and finally, The missionary task is a cooperative work with the Lord of the harvest. Verses 37 and 38, Jesus describes the work of missions as a work of harvest. Many of you are familiar with harvest, as uh, some here are farmers as well. Harvest, as you may know, involves hard work. It involves many people in their time. It involves the whole community, in fact, during their time. Not only the men, but also the women in the village. The gathering of the harvest is not an easy task. And Christ understands that the harvest, as he said, is plentiful. It's huge. It's a great task. No doubt the Lord of the harvest is the one in charge of the gathering of the crops and grains into barn or barns. That's his work. He is the Lord of the harvest. In missions, Christ is gathering the people of God into the church, into His fold. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is in charge. And before we forget, understand that it is God who works here. And the foremost, the foremost laborer who did the work of missions was His Son, isn't it the Lord of the harvest Himself, the one who has all authority and power in heaven and on earth, and the one who will commission in, in chapter 10, the 12, and then later on in chapter 28, He will commission the, the apostles and, and the church. And at the beginning of Acts, isn't He the one who is the main worker here? Yes, He is. But he enjoins his, his disciples, his followers. He calls his, follow, his followers to work with him. And so in verse 38, Jesus says, Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. And before anyone has lifted a prayer, Jesus gets to work already. He calls and commissions the twelve. He told them in verse 38 to pray for laborers. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, and chapter 10, verse 5, he authorizes, he authorizes and sends them to the harvest field. The apostles were first sent by the Lord who himself was already working in the field. And so in doing the missionary task, we are working with the Lord. 
who is actively working before us, along with us, and even ahead of us by His Spirit. As someone rightly has observed, Jesus was already at work before any of the apostles and the succeeding disciples were at work or at prayer. He was already proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was already healing the sick, uh, healing the sick and the, the, those who, who have diseases. He was already working the missionary task. And yes, He is calling us, the church, to join Him in this missionary endeavor. The Lord is in charge of the gathering. He has all the power and the authority to gather His elect from the four corners of the world into His kingdom. But He employs means. God, our Lord, is the God of means. The harvest is huge. We need prayer warriors to implore the Master, to implore the Lord of the harvest, to continually send out laborers to the growing mission field. In the last 2,000 years, Jesus, through His church, has harvested millions of people already. So this prayer has been answered. And it is being answered. And it will continue to be answered until the last hour. In the Apostles' time, early first century, there was a huge mission field already and hardly any workers. Just 12 of them first. And then 72. And then probably 120. But by the end of the book of Acts, there was still a huge mission field. But a few thousand workers had spread out their, their harvesting hands from Jerusalem to, to Judea to Samaria and even to all the way to the city of Rome. Today, there are still huge mission fields, but perhaps a million workers and counting, reaching the thousands of tribes and peoples and nations and languages all over the globe. The Lord has been quite busy my dear brothers and sisters. He is busy answering your prayers. He is busy sending out workers to the field. He trains men and women to go out into all the world. Into all the world. And I praise the Lord that First Chino is involved in this worldwide missions of the Lord of the Harvest. I thank the Lord for sending your support to missionaries and missions organizations laboring for the global, the global ministry, the global task, missionary task that God himself has started, not only here in Chino, not only here in California, but even, even throughout the United States, throughout Canada, and especially even in the Philippines. The work of missions does continue. And so let us keep on praying for more workers, let us keep on praying that the Lord would raise up men from among you, from among the churches in URCNA, from among the churches in other Reformed churches to be sent out throughout all the world. And please continue supporting our seminaries that train men to preach the Word of Christ both here and abroad. If you yourself sense the Lord's calling in your life, to go or even to stay in this country, consider. 
the Lord may use you. He may, he may send you to preach the gospel or to serve as a relief worker or a Bible translator or a teacher in a foreign land, in China, in Thailand, or part of a medical team if you're a medical personnel. And so may Christ be pleased to send more laborers to his global harvest field. This is our prayer. May each of us continue to pray for this prayer. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, our Heavenly, our heavenly Father, for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was a missionary. We thank you that you have sent our dear Savior not only to, to die for us, but to sympathize with us, with all our struggles, with all our pains, with all our problems. And he does something in order to address those problems. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, we continue to pray that you would raise up men and women who are willing and ready to go to preach the gospel throughout the nations of the world. And even here in this area, we pray that you would equip men to preach the gospel, to serve as your shepherds in the churches among your flock. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing that already in this congregation. We pray that you would cause us to remain faithful to you and to the labor that you have called us to do. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.